Welcome back to Course Correction Radio, my friends. Thank you for joining me. We have a special broadcast for you today. Now, due to the fact that this is going to be pre-recorded, this will be split up into three segments to make sure that it airs on time. So, the video will end with each segment, but stick around because the next one will be premiering shortly after. So, without further ado, my friends, let's get into this. So, we're going to be talking about Easter, understanding Easter, its origins, where they are in the Bible, its significance in end times prophecy, and you may be asking, how is this even significant in end times prophecy? And I'm glad you asked. I guess you'll have to stick around till the end of the broadcast to find out how exactly that is. So stay tuned. But uh, without any further ado, we're going to get into the first segment of this, the Christian history of Easter. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come over here and we're going to take a look at Britannica.com and see what Britannica has to say about this. So let's switch over so you can see this with me. All right, Easter holiday and this is what it says easter the latin is pasca greek pasca well we're going to see that that's not necessarily true here in a few minutes the principal festival of the christian church which celebrates the resurrection of jesus christ on the third day after his crucifixion the earliest recorded observance of an easter celebration comes from the second century though the commemoration of jesus resurrection probably occurred earlier. Easter is celebrated on Sunday, April 4th, 2021. The English, and this is where we want to get into it, the English word for Easter, which parallels the German word Ostern, is 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 of uncertain origin. One view expounded by the venerable Bedet in the 8th century was that it derived from Eostra, or Eostre, the English the Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring and fertility. This view presumes, as does the view associating the origin of Christmas on December 25th with pagan celebrations of the winter solstice, that Christians appropriated pagan names and holidays for their highest festivals. Given the determination with which Christians combated all forms of paganism, the belief in multiple deities, this appears a rather dubious presumption. According to this, that is, but we're going to go in and we're going to look at some of the traditions and see if this is in fact the case, because what we want to do is we want to determine what is the truth of the matter. Is is Easter a, where did it come from? Why did it go from looking at, so if you go over to Leviticus chapter 26, I mean, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 23, so let's pull that up. Whoops, might help if I actually use the actual, type the letters in right. Okay, and it says, And thus spake, and thus, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Six days shall ye work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, and holy convocation Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. 
bear with me. We're going to read this out real quick because I want you to see what's going on. These are the feasts of the Lord, even the holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month at even, it is, is at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. In the first day ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. But ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. And the seventh day is an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priests. And ye shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted before you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priests shall wave it. And ye shall offer that day when ye have waved the sheaf and and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the, Lord, and the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the first part of an hen. And ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God, and it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheave of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. So we have seven sevens, right? Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, that's the 49th day, shall ye number 50 days. And ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. And they are the first fruits unto the Lord. And ye shall offer with bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year. And one young bullock and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offering even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for an sin offering and two lambs for the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be and holy. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. So we're going to stop there because these are the spring feasts. These are, so if you read the whole chapter of Leviticus 11, we're going to come back over here that way so I can address you guys. So if you read the uh, Leviticus 11, if you read the whole chapter of Leviticus 23, you will see that there are seven feasts, seven Moedim altogether, and if you include the weekly Sabbath, there are eight. And we're going to get into this a little more later, but just keep in mind, eight sacred, solemn feasts for the Lord. And so the reason I wanted to get into that is because 
Uh, like it said, around the second century, all of a sudden you start seeing this thing of, it goes from these, which are celebrated in the Bible. We're going to show that here in a minute. Um, and then it starts going to this thing called Easter. And so what we want to do is we want to keep, let's go back over here. We're going to go back and keep reading. So, the date of Easter and its controversies, fixing the date on which the resurrection of Jesus was to be er observed and celebrated triggered a major controversy in early Christianity, which an Eastern and a Western position can be distinguished. The dispute known as the Paschal Controversies was not definitely resolved until the 8th century. In Asia Minor, Christians observed the day of the crucifixion on the same day that Jews celebrated the Passover offering. That is, on the fourth, 14th day of the first full moon of spring, 14 Nisan, see the Jewish calendar, the resurrection then was observed two days later on the 16th of Nisan, regardless of the day of the week. In the West, the resurrection of Jesus was celebrated on the first day of the week, Sunday, when Jesus had risen from the dead. Consequently, Easter was always celebrated on the first Sunday after the 14th day of the month of Nisan. Increasingly, the church opted for the Sunday celebration and the Quattrodecimans, 14th day proponents, remained a minority. And then here's where we want to go right here. The Council of Nicaea in 325 decreed that Easter should be observed on the first Sunday following the first full moon after the spring equinox, which is on March 21st, typically. Easter, therefore, can fall on any Sunday between March 22nd and April 25th. So... That's what we want to focus on there. Um, and just so you guys can see that, uh, there's everything where that was. Um, so that is under the Encyclopedia Britannica.com, the date of Easter and its controversies. And where we want to focus is that the Council of Nicaea in 325, this is when they made that. That was under the rule of Constantine the famous uh, pagan emperor that claimed Christianity, right? So um, we look at there, and there goes this shift from the the eight Moedim of the father, because he says in Leviticus 23.1, these are my feasts. Commonly, in the, especially in the dispensational church today, these are known as the, um, the feasts of the Jews. But... Leviticus 23 specifically says, these are my feasts, is what the Lord says. So, what happened, and why are we celebrating these, and what does Easter mean? Now, we want, now what we want to do from here is we want to come back up here. Let me make sure you guys can see this. So, we want to come back up here, where there was this posit of it was derived from Eostre, or Eostre, the Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring and fertility. So, let's head over to this. This is from the Universal Life Church Monastery. I have no idea what this is. I have not vetted it. So, just be in mind when you're checking things out like this, be sure to use... Um, let's be sure we use uh, discretion. So, as you can see up here... Ah, uh, this looks like this is something definitely ecumenical, so be uh, be very careful about that. This is definitely an ecumenical Unitarian 
kind of uh this you see it right here universal life church this is uh this is uh some some end times one world religion kind of stuff but let's see what they have to say about easter and ostara the converging traditions many of those preparing to celebrate easter may not realize there are others planning to celebrate ostara at the same time the two holidays are actually closely related and draw upon similar historical roots. Ostara is essentially the pagan incarnation of the traditional Christian Easter. The thing we have to ask ourselves is which one came first? The Christian tradition itself draws the name from the pagan god Oestre or Easter. This word has Germanic roots and refers to the eastern direction from which the sun rises. Oestre is the Teutonic goddess of spring and dawn who is very closely associated with the vernal equinox. The vernal equinox takes place each year between March 19th and March 22nd, while Easter always occurs between late March and early April. In the past, beginning with the pagans, so there's that, very important, beginning with the pagans. This time of year was celebrated as one of renewal and rebirth. Christians adopted the symbolism to represent the resurrection of Christ rather than the earth itself. Other religions, now keep that in mind, the, res, uh, the earth, that's going to come in. We're going to read something very interesting in the third part of this that is uh, going to tie into the end times, uh, like how Easter applies to the end times. Other religious traditions predating Christianity have had similar figures that utilize the same symbolism. Hathor, the Egyptian figure that experienced rebirth, is merely one example. So, uh, guys, uh, something interesting here. If you are familiar with anything about Hathor, Hathor was an Egyptian goddess that took uh, the form of a calf. And um, this is, why is this significant? Well, think back to right after the Passover, um, the Egyptians are in, the, or excuse me, the children of Israel are in the wilderness. Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days, and they say, yeah, well, you know, well, we're going to make our own gods. And Aaron builds a golden calf and says, behold, the gods who brought you out of Egypt. Uh, so there's a tie to Hathor there. So I just, I thought that was interesting. I wanted to keep that in mind as we go on. So... Uh, according to the myth, pagan children would present eggs as a gift to the goddess in return for the coming of the spring. Oestra traditionally carried an egg to symbolize birth and new life. Christian traditions incorporated eggs. Incorporating eggs have not strayed very far from this practice. The popular depiction of the rabbit associated with the Christian celebration has its roots in the pagan tradition as well. Ostara, which was said to have been so touched by the gifts that she recruited her minions to return these eggs to the children in baskets. The minions were rabbits. March and the location of the sun also marked the time of year for the rutting of the rabbits. This implies elements of fertility in relation to the bounty that the earth cultivates during this time of year. Other popular legends have emerged on the equinox as well. The word translate as balance, bearing some responsibility for the idea that an egg could be balanced on its end only during this time. The days and nights also reflect this translation. During this period of time, light and dark are equally 12 hours long. 
Early Christian churches were more sensitive to the pagan roots of the celebration of Astara and disapproved of the incorporation of eggs and rabbits into the holiday. Followers of the pagan traditions would bury eggs in the ground to celebrate the spring. The priests of the day encouraged children to remove the symbols of worship from the ground. They rewarded the children by paying them a small amount for each egg they collected and returned to the church. However, time quickly ingrained these symbolic references into the Christian mythos to form the holiday that is now celebrated all over the world. So, we've read that. That was Easter and Ostara there. So, let's read a little bit more about Ostara, and we're going to come over to, once again, I like to go straight to the sources and see what the pagans have to say about it themselves. So, we're going to check this Wiccan site, guys. Always, if you're going to visit these pagan sites, keep in mind that we're dealing with spiritual powers here. So make sure you're always prayed up. Make sure that you're covered when you're going through things like this so that way you won't get caught in any snares. Because remember, one of the things that will keep somebody out of the kingdom of heaven is witchcraft. So always bear that in mind. All right, let's continue. Ostara is the second of the three spring festivals of the Wheel of the Year. Now, I'm going to show you what the Wheel of the Year is um, here. We're going to watch a little snippet of a video and uh, go from there. So coming in between Imbolc and Beltane, this is a time for celebrating the balance between extremes that is found amid the seasons. Although it may still be chilly in many regions, this is the official beginning of spring in the Northern Hemisphere it is the vernal equinox, the moment of exact balance between light and dark. Though it's typically celebrated on March 20th, the exact moment of the equinox varies from year to year. Uh, yeah, so let's... In the Wiccan mythology, the growing daylight is the evidence of the god moving from the infancy toward maturity. Likewise, the earth becomes warmer and more fertile as the goddess is coming into the full power of her maiden aspect. The promise of greener, warmer, more beautiful times is becoming apparent as buds and blossoms emerge from the trees and shrubs. Bees return to, the be to begin the pollination cycle, and the fields of grass wake up from their winter slumber. This is a time of innocence and childlike wonder as the end of winter finally becomes a reality and being outdoors is pleasant again. We have not yet arrived at the passion of the heat of summer, but are instead enjoying the more balanced energies of the equinox and so there's uh goes into some of the rituals so here's one if you have one with fresh spring water to float petals upon images of hairs eggs and pastel colors are also traditional decorations fruit appropriate for ostara celebrations include eggs sprouts young greens and other seasonal crops such as asparagus fiddlehead ferns and i really don't want to get too much into this guys because this is this is some of the things that God says don't do. So next we're going to check out this um, this video from another pagan about um, what, uh, what exactly Ostara is. And the video even says the pagan origins of Easter. So let's, let's check it out. And uh, for... Uh, for protection reasons, I'm actually going to, like for copyright reasons, I'm not going to, like, and I don't know what's going on, but it's better to be safe than sorry. So we're going to come down here, and uh, I'm going to play this over this. So, But you guys have seen the video. 
Um, so let's do that. All right, did you catch that? So one of the things she said there was it was between a god and a goddess. So what happens here is we have uh, the rebirth. We have this rebirth of this or this this god this god coming into a a maturity, and that maturity is a sexual maturity because she said at the next holiday of Beltan there is the union of the god and the goddess. This is idolatry is essentially what it is. But notice she went through several holidays that happened. So Sawain is, um, and we'll talk about this more later in the year. I'm going to try to cover each one of these pagan holidays as they come, if I can. Um, but Sawain is uh, the pagan origin behind Halloween. And then he is resurrected at the winter solstice, which would be around Christmas time. So there are pagan ties to almost every single supposed Christian holiday that's out there. So, um, but I just wanted to keep that up because as I show you the wheel of the Wiccan wheel of the year, there are eight holidays up there, which are counterfeits of the eight holidays that God gave his, his followers. All right, let's head to the next one. So, we're going to look at this this God and this Goddess with this article from Got Questions, which says this. Who was Ishtar, and is there any connection between Ishtar and Easter? That's the question. Here's the answer. Ishtar was an ancient Mesopotamian goddess of war, fertility, and sex. She is featured in the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Ishtar Gate, which was part of Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. By the way, um, unless I am mistaken, the Ishtar Gate still stands inside of Baghdad, Iraq, to this day. Her worship involved animal sacrifices, objects made of her sacred stone, lapis lazuli, and temple prostitution. Some people claim there exists a connection between Ishtar and Easter. A popular meme has been circulating the internet making that very claim. Superimposed over the image of Ishtar are these words. This is Ishtar, pronounced Easter. Easter was originally the celebration of Ishtar, the Assyrian and Babylonian goddess of fertility and sex. Her symbol, like the egg and bunny, were still, were and still are fertility and sex symbols. Or did you actually think eggs and bunnies had anything to do with the resurrection? After Constantine decided to Christianize the empire, eggs were changed to represent, or Easter was changed to represent Jesus. But as it, but at its roots, Easter, which is how you pronounce Ishtar, is all about fertility and sex. Now, this article does say there is absolutely no conclusive connection between the pagan goddess Ishtar and the Christian celebration of Easter. Um, and it goes on to say that this is speculation. However, there is... Um, there is a phonetic connection there. So Ishtar, East like there so Ishtar became um when you look at the um hold on, give me just a second. So when you look at the phonetic tracings, and I've done this before, and uh feel free to do this for yourself. When you look at the phonetic tracings of that, you have Ishtar. It's uh phonetically related to Esther when uh Hadassah changed her name. Well, her name was changed in the Persian Empire to Esther. You have that. There's a connection with that there. Um, and then it became, it was another goddess became Eostra, which we already saw was where the word Easter came from. So 
there is, uh, even though God questions says there's not much of a connection, I mean, it's not it's not hard to find the connection, and it's definitely not rocket science to figure it out. And I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence by saying it is. I'm merely trying to say that the connections are there. You just have to I have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. So that was Ishtar, and um, Ishtar, um, Ishtar was the god, but our goddess. But what about the god? The god was Baal or Bel of the Canaanite. Um, so it was Baal and and, and um, Ashtaroth is what you see in the Bible. And we're going to talk about them more in the second part of this. So, but they uh, all come from these guys right here. Which is uh, Nimrod and Semiramis. So this is from a the truthersjournal.home.blog. Uh, once again, have not vetted this. Don't know um, how reliable it is. So please use discretion and be prayed up when you're dealing with any of these things, um, because there's a lot of people that are looking good right now, but are coming out as um, wolves in sheep's clothing. So the importance of Nimrod in any study of the occult cannot be overemphasized because of the powers given him by the clothing of Adam and Eve. So that is a reference to the book of Jasher. Um, Adam and Eve, their clothing, the garments that God gave them when they were um, when they were kicked out of the garden, they passed down. Whoops, just knocked my clipboard down. Um, they were passed down um, to to each successive uh, line, and they were eventually handed down to Noah, who took them on the ark. They were then stolen by Ham, given to Cush, and Cush gave them to Nimrod. And uh, and it says he indulged the power by launching, so he get, Nimrod became the first man to rule the whole world. And so that's Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Uh, Genesis chapter 10 in the Table of Nations, it shows you how Nimrod went out, became a mighty hunter, and conquered the known world at the time, he indulged that power by launching excesses and horrors which have never been equaled. It, ever since the time of Nimrod, Babylon has been the symbol of depravity and lust. Nimrod also introduced the practice of genocide to the whole world. His grandfather, Ham, having consorted with other races and brought children of mixed race into the world, was persuaded by his consort, the evil Naama, to practice ritual murder and cannibalism. She informed him that by killing and eating fair-skinned people, his descendants could not regain their superior qualities. Now, this part right here, I have no idea where this information is coming from, so keep that in mind. What I want to focus on is this part right here. is about Nimrod. So throughout the ensuing centuries, the fair-skinned descendants of Shem, uh, yeah, I think we're going to leave that there um, because this is looking to get into a little bit of race baiting, and I'm just not about that. Uh, so, um, and I may end up cutting this part out of it altogether. So, but anyway, you have... Um, So let's check this out. So you've got the legend of Nimrod. There are several places you can come to find this. Uh, one of my favorites is, um, where is it at?
Yeah, here it is. Amazingdiscoveries.org. So the pagan system of sun worship had three main aspects, the father, the mother, and the son. So we talked about this in our, um, I believe it made it into our Tearing Down um, the High Places podcast, which was the season finale of season one. Um, in the ancient Chaldean times, there were the god, the god Bel or Merodach, Ninus, the sun, who was also worshipped as Tammuz. We're going to talk about him later. And the female goddess Rhea who was also worshipped as Ishtar, Astarte, or Beltis. She was also referred to as, quote, the Queen of Heaven and the Wrath Subduer. Mary has received these same names in Catholicism. So let's go down here to the legend of Nimrod. The system of worship has its origin in the legend of Nimrod and his wife, Semiramis. Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, rebelled against God like his father Cush. Eventually, Nimrod was put to death for his evil deeds, and according to the ancient patriarchal system, parts of his body were sent to various cities as a warning. So um, that so that information like that, Josephus, in his writings when talking about the death of Nimrod, says that uh, he was killed by Shem and his body was cut up into different pieces. And uh, this is where the legend of Osiris and Isis comes from where Isis refashioned his body but couldn't find the 14th part, which was the phallus. She fastened an obelisk, stuck it to him, uh, stuck it on him, and, of course, mated with him, and this is where Horus came from. So let's see this. So his wife Semiramis fled, but spread the rumor that he had ascended to heaven, where he had become one with the sun. Where Semiramis later gave birth to a son, she claimed that it was the reincarnation of her deified husband and that he had returned to save the human race. She was later deified as the mother of the sun god, and it was supposed to it was supposed that she had ascended into heaven as the queen of heaven in the various cultures throughout history and around the world. The same basic deities have been worshipped under different names. So um, more about that myth is uh, Semiramis claimed to be the goddess of the moon and said it was said that she was sent down from have from the moon in an egg and was hatched uh when the egg hit the earth so uh there's that and um we have that connection so easter that is the where there's the 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 christian origins it's pagan origins um um some uh interest some interesting insight on the goddess and the the God and the Goddess, um, and this this right here, the Amazing Discoveries, seems to be more of a rational and scholarly, um, a rational and a scholarly collection of the Legend of Nimrod, whereas the site before this seems, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't cite a whole lot of sources where... <clears throat> Where this doesn't necessarily either, but this is more of the legend of Nimrod that you can find. It comes from Babylonian mythology. Whereas I have no idea where that other stuff came from. We don't have any record that Shem's descendants were fair-skinned. We don't have any record of, not that I know of, and I could be wrong. So if you guys know where this thing of Ham um, and the evil Naama comes from, um, it's not anything I'm familiar with, so therefore I'm 
I'm not going to trust it. And uh, when I went and read that the first time, I must have missed that part. So I apologize for not seeing that and kicking it out before. So that's uh, that's pretty much the first segment of the the origins of Easter. And uh, so stick around because not long after this, we're going to air the second part of this discussion, which is the patterns of apostasy that you can find. And we're going to look at how each time the children of Israel all the different scriptures where it talks about how they were falling to the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth because that's what this god and this goddess that these pagans are worshiping in this cycle of the wicked wheel of the year, same thing, the absolute same thing. So we will uh, we'll come back. We're going to take a look at that in the next video. So uh, when you should, if you're subscribed, make sure if you're watching this and you're not subscribed, subscribe so that way you can get the notification when the next video comes in so we'll see you guys back here in a few minutes don't go anywhere we'll be right back on course correction radio Welcome back to Course Correction Radio, my friends. We're picking up right where we left off in the last part of this Understanding Easter. We're going to be picking up with segment two, Patterns of Apostasy. We're going to look at what a snare Baal and Ashtoreth worship was for the children of Israel. And I'm going to go really too deep because this is just designed to be a, a jumping off point for you as the viewer and if you're listening to this on the podcast as a listener and we will leave links in the description for all of this so you can have it so without any further ado let's jump over here and get into this shall we all right so if you head over to this this is the this is the Church of the Great God. Not sure what this is either, but what they do have is something very helpful. They have this they have this section where you can just look up verses. It just has verses about Asherah, Ashtoreth, and Astarte. By the way, all same names for all different names for the same goddess. So Judges chapter two, verse thirteen. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. First uh that's uh so if you know anything about the book of Judges, that is a pattern that happens throughout. They fall into all the different versions of these gods in the various lands that surround the children of Israel. So head over to 1 Kings 11, 1-9. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, 
as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart, for it was... For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Judges chapter 10, verse 6. Then the children of Israel did again evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals, and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. They forsook the Lord and did not serve them. So here we have that god and goddess worship again. You're starting to notice a pattern, especially in the book of Judges. First Samuel 7, 3, Then Samuel spoke to the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the land of the Philistines. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. This is First Samuel twelve ten. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served Baal, the Baals and Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. First Samuel 31.10, they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and then fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. I believe that was talking about Saul. Um, First Kings 11.33, because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Kamosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, I believe uh, Milcom is also another word for Molech, and have not walled, not, have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. So First Kings fifteen thirteen, and he removed all, and also he removed Macha, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. Second Kings 23.13, Then the king defiled the high places that were at the east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Kamosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Melchum, or Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. All right, so this one's interesting. This is... Uh, I've brought this one up in a podcast in the past. Ezekiel 8.14. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house, and to my dismay, 
Women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. So the custom was you would weep 40 days for Tammuz, who had been killed by a boar, apparently. And you would weep 40 days for him. And then at the end of the 40 days, you would slaughter a boar in honor of the one that had killed Tammuz, and you would eat it. So um, from what I have understand and what I have studied, this is where the tradition of Ash Wednesday starts on Ash Wednesday, and then you go into Lent where you fast for 40 days. This has uh, come out of this pagan, uh, celeb- or this pagan weeping for Tammuz, who we learned earlier was the son of Nimrod and Semiramis. Um, and then you know, of course, everybody loves their Easter hams, right? So Ezekiel eight seventeen, and he said unto me, and have you seen this, O son of man? It is a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit abominations which they commit here, for they have filled the land with violence. Then. They have returned me to provoke anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. And um, I've studied that in the past, but honestly, I don't remember what that is. A great resource for that. If you have not seen it, watch uh, several of the videos from Now You See TV. They've done great things about these things, and they would probably go into a lot more detail. Uh, David and Donna Carrico over at FOJCRadio.com. Uh, excellent resources when it goes into the study of these things. So 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And, of course, it goes on to talk about the uh, Revelation um, Revelation 18.14. We're going to get into that more later. But, as you can see, there is a clear, a uh, there is a very clear pattern going on here so we read about the weeping for tammuz and um the queen of heaven and all of that so let's uh let's actually go into greater detail with that we're going to look up goodness gracious i can't type ezekiel chapter eight and uh, for those of you listening we're heading over to bible gateway right now to Check out Ezekiel 8. Go into more detail with it. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, I sat in my house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, and the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness of, as the appearance of fire. From the appearance of his loins, even downward fire, and from his loins, even upward, as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of a hand, and took me by a lock of mine head, And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy. And behold, the Lord God of Israel was there according to the visions I saw in the plain. Then he said unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. He turned furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me to the door of the court when I looked, and behold, in the wa- a hole in the wall. Then he said unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. 
And he said unto me, Go in, and behold, the wicked abominations they do there. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Uh, me personally, that makes me think of the Catholic priests that have that weird uh, censer that they do uh, over the s- scriptures before they read. Really weird stuff. No, no offense to any Catholics out there, but I don't see any. I don't see any precedent for that in the Bible except for here, and it's not in a good context. Then he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, The Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. And he said unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. So notice, things just keep getting worse, and we haven't even gotten to the weeping of Tammuz yet. Here we go. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. So now we're in the inner court. And behold, at the door of the temple, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple, and they faced towards the east, the rising of the sun, sun worship, and they worshipped the sun toward the east. So we have the sun worship for the men, and we have the women weeping for Tammuz. And then he said unto me, Hast thou seen, O son of man, it is a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here, for they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. So this makes me think of when it says, when they cry in mine ears, I think of uh, uh, the First Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people will humble themselves and will pray and will turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear them and heal their land, right? So we see here we have connections with the weeping of Tammuz, which we know is the son of Nimrod and Semiramis and this pagan deity in this pagan pantheon. And we have them weeping for them in the temple. By the way, if you remember on last week's podcast, we know how this, um, we know how this applies to us. Because we now are the temple of God, and one day this man of sin is going to come from the congregation, the church of Jesus, his body, and he is going to declare himself to be God. And so, um, 
I can't help but wonder if what Ezekiel was seeing was something that was a future fulfillment of people doing these things inside the church, these wicked pagan rites of these eggs being painted, these these um, these rituals that are coming straight out of witchcraft like we saw. And the sad thing is many of you guys that are celebrating this will probably shake this off and say, ah, it just doesn't really matter. I have Christian liberty, right? And so Christian liberty is the posit that if the Bible doesn't specifically say not to do it, then you have the Christian liberty to do it. The problem is the Bible says you should not do these things. Let's head back over here. I want to check something out real quick. So let's uh, let's head back over to Bible Gateway. We're going to take a look at another scripture. So we're going to come back up here to, we're going to type in Deuteronomy. Oops. We're going to head over here to Deuteronomy chapter 12. So these are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord thy God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods unto the upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. So we talked about this in our tearing down the high places Um in that podcast about how the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, and that's these demonic strongholds. It's not this wrong way of thinking like some pastors are saying today. Uh, the, the Just the lack of biblical understanding these days is absolutely... I, I just I don't understand why there is... And yes, I actually, you know, I take that back. I fully understand why there's a lack of biblical understanding because people don't read their Bibles. If it doesn't start... If it doesn't, if it if it's before Matthew, people don't read it. And half the churches today, if it doesn't start before, if it if it starts before um, Romans, they won't read it. And if it goes after Hebrews, they won't read it. It's just the oh, man, the the things that people do in churches today. The church is so completely backwards that I guarantee you, when Jesus comes back, half of the half half of the people that so called are so called believers in Jesus won't even see him, and they'll be one of the ones to mount up and tr- try to kill him when he comes back. And I got news for you: if you don't start understanding the significance of the holidays that we read, and look, I'm not saying, look, I'm not here to cast judgment on anybody. So please don't misunderstand. What I am urging you is to look into these holidays, these biblical holy feasts, for yourselves, because the the prophecies and the types and shadows about Jesus will come alive as they never have before. Acts chapter 2 will mean so much more to you once you have celebrated the feast of Shavuot, also known as Pentecost. You Once you count the Omer, once you have celebrated Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, and you understand the spiritual significance of these things and how they relate to Jesus, your life will never be the same. And I understand there's so much tradition and there's so many good memories in these holidays, Christmas, Easter, all of them. But I promise you, they are dead. They are dead holidays. There's nothing about. You may think that you're doing it in celebration of Jesus right now. I totally get that. I've been there. But I am telling you, once you celebrate the feast that God has prepared for you and you understand when you break that Passover bread, that matzah, that unleavened bread, 
and you break it and you eat it and you realize that Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And you drink that wine, or if you're not in the wine and you drink the grape juice and you say, this is my blood. We just read in Leviticus 23 how there was a meal, a meat offering of grain baked into bread and then a drink offering. That points towards Jesus, guys. That is that is his body and his blood. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. But half the people don't understand what that means because they don't understand the significance of these holy days laid out in Leviticus 23. So let me look at my let me look at my my um let me look at my itinerary I got going on here. So let's see how we're looking on time. So we're about another 20 minutes into this. So let's go back. Yeah, you know what? Let's go back and look at that again. Let's look at uh Leviticus 23. And the Lord or and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, and say to them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord. Guys, these aren't just Jewish feasts. These are God's appointed times, Moedim. When you read Genesis chapter one, and you see that there was um, you know, he put the stars, the sun, moon, and stars in the sky for signs and for seasons. That word seasons is Moedim. It's the same word used here for the feasts of the Lord. These are his appointed times that he has put aside to spend with his people. So six days shall you work, but the seventh is the Sabbath. So we know that one. These are the feasts of the Lord, even the holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. There's our word, Moedim. So um, in the 14th day of the month, and even at even is the Lord's Passover. So I want to head back over here. and We're going to look up. I believe it's chapter 18, and we're going to go down to the King James. All right, let's check this out. So is this it? No, I don't think it is. Sorry, guys, bear with me. Yeah, so here we go. Luke chapter 22, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's what we just read, right? So let's head back over here to Leviticus 23. And the 15th day of the month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So commonly, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits all take place within the same week. So commonly, they're all lumped together um, as like one giant celebration. Um, so, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot. All right, so then came the day of unleavened bread, skipping down to verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, wilt, Where wilt thou we where wilt thou that we may that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall be a man 
meet you, bearing a pitcher of water, follow him to the house where he entereth, and ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And they went and found, as he had said unto them, they made ready, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I will say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it. And this is what I was referring to. Break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which I give as which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this was on the Passover night where they were to also eat unleavened bread and to drink wine. But the significance goes so much farther than that. Not only does this represent that Jesus is the Passover sacrifice, that his body was sacrificed, and um, that his his blood was shed because there, uh, the Hebrews tells us that that it's, it's the blood, right? That's where the remissions of sins. There's several other places as well, but Hebrews tells us that it's not the blood of bulls and goats. They were just the shadow pointing towards Jesus. So let's go down here, the Feast of the Lord. Um, and so we have right here, and then the seventh day, a holy convocation, and the Lord spake unto Moses, speaking to the children of Israel, and say unto them, we're back in Leviticus 23, for those of you listening to this on audio. Leviticus 23, verse 10, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then shall ye bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priests, and ye shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow. After the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And ye shall offer that day when ye have the sheaf a lamb without blemish, of the first year for a burnt offering to the Lord. And here it is. And the meat offering shall be of two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering there shall be of wine, the fourth part of an hen. And ye shall not either, either eat neither bread nor parched corn nor grain ears. So we see that the bread and the wine, the bread and the wine, the bread and the wine. There, there's several places throughout the Bible that points to this. This is pointing to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Our Passover offering, we talked about it a few weeks ago in the likened unto Moses. John said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. So likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto the man that betrayed me. So as it was determined, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that they should do. So um, in another verse, there's another verse that I want us to check out before we head on to the third and final segment is um so give me just a second guys all right so we see basically and i apologize about that i couldn't remember the the verse offhand so i had to type it in and remember what the 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 reference was but we see up here right so when we're in luke 22 and we read about the passover we come down here 
And Jesus says this. It's the first thing he says. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So when we talk about Passover versus Easter, I would just like to posit this question. And what we're going to do, we're going to head over here to 1 John. Whoops. Once again, I cannot type. First John 2, 6. He that saith he abide in him, abideth in him also, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So let's read the first, let's read the whole chapter. My, my little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he saith, he that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him on himself also to walk even as he walked. Right? And so, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have heard from the beginning. The old commandment which is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment. I write unto you, not new as like it had never been seen before. That's not the Greek word that's used here. I write unto you which true which thing is true in him and in you, because it, the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is occasion, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded him. And you might be asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with Passover versus Easter? Bear with me. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So we saw back up here. Let's go back to chapter 4. Um, so he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So, and if you go to the next chapter, so just to give you an idea of where we're going with this, whoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. Anyway, let's go back here. So this all has to do with what is what is love this, what is love that. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you, sin, transgression of the law, for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the father. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. Now keep in mind, when John was writing this, the only word of God they had was everything before Matthew, because the old, the New Testament, excuse me, the New Testament had not been written yet. And ye have overcome the wicked one. And I say it hadn't been written, obviously John was writing this, but it hadn't been codified into the what we now know as the New Testament. And ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We just read this a minute ago. If any man love, if any man love the world, 
The love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. So we read about that. We, we talked about this just in last week's podcast about the temptation of Jesus. Isn't it funny how all of these things always tie together? The Word of God is boundless in its connections. There's actually somebody did a cross-reference of it and did like this little color-coding thing where all these, it was beautiful. Um, little children. All right, so, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. John eight fifty one. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, if a man keep my sayings, he shall not see death. Little children, it is the last time. So we're going to start getting into our um, our ties with Easter to the end times. Little children, it is the last time, and ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest. But ye have an unction from the Holy One. And ye know all things. I have not written to you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. He acknowledged the Son hath the Father. He that acknowledged the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And I know I'm reading a lot, but I want to hit this point home when we get to it. And this is the promise that he promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is true, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him. When he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So this is what I was saying. So many people are not going to recognize Jesus when they come back because they don't abide in him. And to abide in him, we saw what we have to do earlier. We have to keep his commandments. By the way, guys, that's not just not just 10 of them. And let's face it, most of us don't even keep nine because we have this problem with this thing called the Sabbath. If you know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope is purified in him, purifieth himself as he is pure. So whoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is. No sin. Whoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever sinneth hath not seen him. 
neither knoweth him. Now, this isn't talking about if you ever mess up and commit one sin, you don't have him. This is somebody who continually walks in a sinful nature. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the works of the devil. And this goes so much farther than what we're just looking at right here. All right, let's continue. Sorry about that. Uh, ended up being muted there for a second. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever is born of God does not doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. He cannot walk in continual sin, in a habitual state of sin, is what that means, because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. This is the wheat and the tares. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It goes on to talk about that. Um, and so, uh, and I know we're running, I know I'm going long on this, guys, but I want to hit this home. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. This is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another he, and as he gave us commandment. Paul said that the sum of all of it could be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. So what we have to ask ourselves as we look at these pagan traditions, these pagan traditions that where these festivals where they would come and they would sacrifice their children and they would just have these absolutely despicable and disgusting um treatises where they would um they would do horrible things to one another and so the verse that i was looking for that i wanted to sum this up give me just a second because i want to make sure we hit this home Give me just a second. Yeah, so there it is. And yeah, oh man, Whew, we would have been going for a while. Okay, so skipping back to uh, chapter 5 of First John. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. And keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. Guys, one of these commandments is to keep the feasts that are laid out in Leviticus 23. And you may be saying, but the objection of, and this is the one that always comes up. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at it. Um... Colossians chapter 2. So, let's go ahead and head down to, um, so, there, let's head down to verse 16, because this is the one that everybody wants to talk about. Let no there, man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. So, what they say is, well, 
the the big uh, objection here is, well, this says that you can't judge me if I don't keep these things because they were just shadows. But now we do everything in in Christ, like he fulfilled all of this. But let's back that up and see if this is actually the context there because, uh, spoiler alert, it ain't. Uh, beware, lest any man spoil you to philosophy and vain scene after. And here's the context. The traditions of men and after the rudiments, that word there is stoicheion, which is the uh, elemental spirits. You know, Paul talks about going back to the weak and beggarly elements in Galatians. Same word. And not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and under the circumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. So this was Deuteronomy. Think Deuteronomy chapter 28. I lay before you blessings and curses. These are the curses of the law, the handwritings that were against us and was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Jesus came and he defeated the curse of the law. We are no longer under the curse of the law, as Paul says. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a shoe of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore, now I heard a pastor say when you see a therefore, you have to know what the therefore is there for. And we saw it back in verse 8. Let no man judge you therefore after the traditions of men in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or the new moon or of the Sabbath. So guys, guess what? Spoiler alert for those of you who may not know, the Colossians were not Jews. They were not celebrating. They were not, it wasn't like they were like already celebrating. The people that were judging them were not keeping these days. So Paul was saying, if you are keeping these days, don't let these pagans around you judge you for it because these are the shadows of things to come. The body of them is Christ. So these were shadows of things to come still at the time that Paul was writing this. These these holy days are filled with prophecy. We talked about Passover, right? Jesus said, I have desired to keep this Passover. We have unleavened bread where you get all this leaven out. Jesus says, you know, we know that leaven represents sin. He became sin who knew no sin. And we saw in 1 John, there's no sin in him. He was without leaven. He was the bread without leaven. And what we do is each time around this time, we get the leaven out of our houses. But we also get the leaven out of our lives. Paul says, uh, therefore, let us keep the feast without the malice of uh, the leaven of malice and things like that. I'm going to see if I can pull that up for you guys so we can take a look at that too. All right, and here it is. It is 1 Corinthians. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is what Paul says. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and that such fornication as is not as much named among the Gentiles. So this kind of fornication was so bad that not even the Gentiles would partake in it, that one should have his father's wife and ye are puffed up. So that puffed up, that is a reference to a loaf of leaven. So 
if you've ever done anything with like sourdough bread or anything like that, you know that you have to aggravate that because as a bacteria, that is a rising agent. The more you aggravate it, the more it rises. It puffs up. And have not rather mourned that he hath, he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. For verily, for I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You glor- your glorying is not good. Know ye that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge you out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are un leavened for Christ for even Christ our passover is sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast what feast what feast are we keeping passover not with old leaven neither with leaven of malice and wickedness which is we saw this wickedness it goes back to not only this, the fornication that's going on here, but the fornication that would happen during these pagan feasts, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See, there are prophetic there are prophetic meanings here, guys. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Hmm, why would fornicators be coming up like this? Not only, and I get it that, that this is coming up, this kind of fornication right here, but why would he write them in an epistle, not this epistle, obviously, to a com- to company with fornicators? Because fornication was one of the things we saw. Ishtar was a god of war, fertility, and sex. So there is fornications. You're not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, guys. Idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. So you're not going to get away from these things altogether, but don't partake in their celebrations. Be separate. And so that's what he's telling them. Be separate. Keep the feast. Let us therefore, let therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, Guys, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much harder I can drive this home. People say that you know, with Jesus, all these things stop. So why is Paul telling his followers in Corinth? By the way, once again, not Jews. Why is he telling them to keep these feasts? These feasts didn't die there, but for some reason, apostasy has entered the church, and we are now, we are now keeping with these. We are keeping with these 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 um, these rites and rituals of Mystery Babylon. And that's what we're going to do when we go into the third segment is we're going to talk about how these tie in to Mystery Babylon. And uh, unfortunately, the third segment won't be able to happen this week, but we will get to it uh, at some point in the future. But uh, for those of you who want to know, as a matter of fact, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll include it in this segment so that way you know. Um, so let's go to Revelation. Eighteen. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. 
And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great, is fallen, fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So what does this have to do with it? Well, Babylon, the great, we saw earlier that um, these these rites have a tendency. Everything goes back to Babylon. Nimrod was the first king of Babylon. And I know for some of you guys, that's going to be a weak, uh, that's going to be a weak connection. So, but you also have, for the nations have drunk of the wine of her wrath of her fornication. Now, this is talking about the whore of Babylon, and the kings of earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So we have this we have this fornication coming up again, and we have this woman that is associated with Babylon the Great. Um, by the way, if you guys haven't seen it, check out um there was a midnight ride done on Now You See TV that talked about how the statue that Nebuchadnezzar uh the Neb- that Nebuchadnezzar set up was actually probably a statue of Ishtar because he grew up in the temple of Ishtar. Um, apparently, his he had a wife named Semiramis, so he was essentially the second Nimrod. He was that's what he was setting out to be. Um, so when you look at all of that and you bring it together, everything points to these pagan, this mystery Babylon traditions going there. And I did tell you guys I would pull up the wheel of um the wheel of the year so let's take a look at this so we have this this is this is the wheel of the year right if it'll pull it up so we have I'll start here this is March 20th followed by Beltane and then um Litha, and then Lamas, Mabon, Sawen, and Yule. So here we have these two separated. So December 21st goes into Yule, 21st to the 25th, uh, something like that. Um, but the, so this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now there's something interesting I want to show you with this right here. And I have this book by Dr. Ken Johnson, and I've told you guys in the past that I can't always recommend his books because uh, he rec- he has some things in some of his books that are just not biblically sound, such as when he said that Christians would be keeping the Noahide laws, uh, even though the Talmud clearly says that uh, the Noahide laws, to keep those uh, means that no idolatry they consider sir, uh, worshiping Jesus Christ idolatry, and Christians are going to get their heads removed. So, uh, no, I doubt that that is biblical and that David would have been an advocate of it. But, nevertheless, I want to uh, come over here because, so one of the things he has in this book is um, he has, so what he does is he splits up, and if you can see that, he splits up on the top. You have the winter solstice, the spring equinox, the summer solstice at the bottom, and then the autumnal equinox. Those are the four quadrants of this wheel. But see, there's mid, so you have things like midsummer, midwinter, midfall, things like that. Midsummer, so you know, like uh, like midsummer's eve, things like that. So here it is. Look at that. Look at the similarities. So I'm going to switch back over so you guys can see this. This wheel recorded in this ancient paganism 
the sorcery of the fallen angels. And then you also see that wheel of the year in Wicca. So, guys. Guys, sorcery was one of the things that the Bible said. The Bible says will uh, keep us out of the kingdom of heaven. And that's why this book was written. These things, Easter, Christmas, all of these pagan traditions that come with them are sorcery. And you can disagree with me all you want. The simple fact of the matter is, is that's that's what it is. And I, look, I'm not here to convince you of it. My, I'm just here to prevent, present the facts as I have found them. Um, but don't listen to me. Do your own research. So, Because the whole point of this book right here is to find the sorcery of the fallen angels Trace it from Genesis 6 before the flood and see how it points to Mystery Babylon in the end. And that's what we want to do too because if we keep celebrating these feasts of the fallen angels and we keep celebrating um, these rites of Mystery Babylon, when Jesus returns, we're going to be so far removed from what the scriptures actually say that majority of the people that claim to follow him and pay lip service are not going to recognize him when he comes back. And I don't want that for anybody. You know, we talked about in 1 John, loving loving your neighbor and, you know, loving, loving, loving. That was the command, to love, to love, to love. We all know that when you love somebody, you tell them the truth no matter how much it may hurt. And I understand fully that this is not a popular topic. Nevertheless, I'm going to broach it because it needs to be talked about. I see so many churches that have these great big Easter egg hunts because they want to bring in people from the world, but the simple fact of the matter is people from the world do not care about things like that. These things don't bring in people. They go, they they don't stay. They come for the fun and they leave. Why? Because half this stuff they can just do out on their own. They don't need the church to um compromise and that's what the church is today the modern day church is compromised and um it's just absolutely ridiculous what's going on with all this stuff we've got all these leaders and I, I told my wife we were talking and it seems like satan has had a bunch of sleeper cells that are just coming out and revealing themselves to actually be satanic leaders and we have people in the church instead of fighting out and coming out against these apostate leaders they're singing uh they're singing secular songs and then trying to make bible messages about them which is absolutely ridiculous the church is becoming a circus and the preachers are clowns that's all it is they're clowns and they're jesters and when jesus comes back if if we don't turn from our wicked ways and we don't start actually doing what the bible says it's going to be bad for a lot of people in the church. So that's really, that's pretty much it for what I've got. We're going, I mean, already on the podcast, because uh, all of this will be together on the podcast. We're already looking at an hour and a half at least, probably an hour and 45 minutes. So guys, if you have any questions, please feel free to leave a comment below. Please share this video if you if you feel like it might be beneficial to a friend or a family member. We Look, the reason I the whole reason I do this stuff is because I've been the person in the church that was hungry for more and couldn't get any answers from anybody. And I want to make sure that I can help somebody from experiencing what I experienced. 
So I appreciate everything you guys do. Thank you for liking. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for subscribing. And thank you for keeping us in your prayers. Next week, we will be continuing with where we left off in our Likened Unto Moses series. Uh, So we'll be picking up with uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes and learning the three groups that Jesus would have been going up against uh, in his day. So uh, you're going to want to stick tuned to that. Hopefully, we'll be picking back up live next week as well. But as you're watching this, uh, me and my family will actually be partaking in a Passover feast. So uh, looking very much forward to it. And uh, I'll tell you all about, tell you guys all about it next week. We'll see you next time on Course Correction Radio.